Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So we are wrapping up a series today that we've been in for the past couple of weeks called Bend, Don't Break. And over the course of this series, we've been talking about the distractions of life, the the weight of life, and the disorienting nature of the busyness of life, and how that impacts the amount of joy and peace and love that you and I get to experience. We've been talking about the health of our souls. This morning, as we close out the series, I want to ask a question, though, that maybe some of you have have thought about, uh, maybe a question you've wanted to ask, but this isn't the time to raise your hand and ask it, and so you haven't had the chance and it's the question is this, it's, hey, yeah, bending is better than breaking, that's awesome, and we were not created to live in a constant state of bending, bending, bending without any relief, without any rest for our soul, but here's a really, really honest question. What do we do if we do break? What happens if I do break? What happens if I have broken another pieces and I don't know how to pick them up? Because here's what's true, you know this, right? Life will throw the kitchen sink at you. And I don't even fully know what that expression means, but I know it's a lot, you know? Like when I think about life and when I think about the world, like I have this picture in my head of Drago in Rocky Four. He's right there in front of Rocky and he goes, I must break you, you know? It's my best Russian accent. Sometimes I also feel like that's what toddlers say. Uh, but anyways, accurate, right? Someone give this mom a break. Um, but you get it, right? Because, because for some of you, you've, you've been walking through life and you've experienced, yeah, I, I hit the breaking point. I did break and it's in pieces and I'm not sure how to put the pieces back together. But one thing that puts us all on even playing field, no matter who you are, what you do or don't believe about faith is that we will hit moments in life that are gonna take us to a breaking point or break us all together. Right, because yeah, we'll talk about the we talk about the busyness of life and the distractions of life, and making sure our souls are in a place to be at their best. There's that part of the equation, but there's the other part of the equation, and the other part of the equation is the parts of life that we can't control. The parts of life that that, that are just difficult. It's the the loss that we experience. It's the the tragedy that we walk through. The pain that we feel the trials that we navigate, the hurt that rocks us to our core, the divorce that we didn't see coming, the layoff, the passing of someone we love, the diagnosis, the sickness, the rejection. There's the weight to all of the difficulty that is just life. There's a weight to all the hard parts of life that we can't explain. There's a weight to the hard parts of life that just don't seem fair. The parts that we did not seem coming. The parts that were not a part of the plan. The parts that we would change if we could in an instant. The parts that we would change for other people if we had the power to change it. The parts of life that feel us, leave us feeling broken. The parts of life that leave us feeling hopeless. Here's an honest question. 
And maybe you grew up in a church context where you had to have it all together, or you come from a place where you never show anybody any weakness or any kink in the armor. But here's just a really honest question. When you get here, what then? Like, how do you keep going then? How do we keep bending then? How do we walk resiliently then? How do we keep believing that there is a God that loves us then? In fact, if you're being totally transparent, the reason you stop believing is because of the breaking. What do we do when we're here? What do we do when we see this ahead? What do we do when we know there's something coming? What do we do when something catches off guard? Like, what do we do when we get here? Because here's what's true. You don't need me to tell you this. Again, this is a faith-neutral part of the conversation. Life's gonna happen. Plans get blown up. Dreams are crushed. Realities changed. Desires and outcomes derailed. External things that we put our hope in and our security in let us down, ran out, broke, they failed. And when we're in those moments, you and I are vulnerable and being vulnerable is scary. And we're vulnerable because um, we're never more reminded in these moments, we're never more reminded of our humanity. We're never more reminded of our mortality. We're never more reminded of our limitations as human beings. When we find ourselves in these spots, we're insecure. And I don't mean like, I don't know what I'm wearing to the eighth grade dance, insecure. You know, I, I mean the insecure of um, my future feels like it's in flux. And I have no security that is holding me together and carrying me forward, kind of insecure. The I'm unsettled and I don't know what to do with it, kind of insecure, when we're in these moments. When we're in these moments, hopeless, unsure where to go, why to go, how to go, we're easily thrown. Our faith becomes a little bit more fragile. Why? Because we have anchored our life to something that wasn't strong enough to carry it. And here's what's true for all of us. This is, this is just in life. You can find this in a number of different places. But for you and for me, we need a reason at times to keep on going. And this is just life. Me and my wife, we just started a workout class together. It's going to be the death of me. This thing is awful. But it's so good. I've, I mean, I've got to have a reason to keep going. And there's two reasons. Because I want to be healthy for my family, but I still want to impress my wife. You know what I'm saying? When she looks at me, I do those burpees faster. I mean, like we, we just all the time, there, there are certain reasons. We do things that are hard. We work through things that are hard. And there's a reason why we do them. And when we look at life, there's the same thing. When we look at us continuing to bend, to keep on walking, to keep on believing, to not let our faith be broken, there needs to be a reason that is bigger than us that we keep on going. And in those moments when we feel hopeless, it's because the reason wasn't big enough. It's because the reason wasn't strong enough, even though we thought that it was. I'll just experiment that illustrates this idea perfectly that was done years and years ago. And um, they did this experiment with these, with these lab rats and they wanted to see how long um, they would swim in 
need some water. And so the first part of the experiment was they took a, a, a lab rat, a couple of lab rats, and they put them on and they, they had them swimming and they saw how long they would swim. And the first batch of rats swam for anywhere from 15 to, to 20 minutes and they eventually would just stop swimming. But then they, 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 they did a different, the second half of the experiment was they would take the rats and they'd put them in the water and they'd start swimming. But then every few minutes they would pick them up out of the water and give them a few seconds of relief and they put them back in the water. And what they found with the second batch of of, of rats is those that got a little bit of relief, those that got a hope of rescue, those that had a reason to keep swimming, never stopped swimming. And the lead scientist on, on the on the you know on the, the trial on the experiment, he concluded this, and this is powerful. He wrote, after the elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not. After the elimination of hopelessness, what a powerful idea. When given just a sliver of hope to keep going, when giving a sliver of hope outside of their own strength, they kept on swimming. That life is hard. It's going to bend us. There will be times when it will break us. For all of us, because we're human, we will break ultimately and surely. And there needs to be a reason bigger than us, beyond our own strength to keep going, to keep swimming, and even in some cases, to keep on believing and to know what to do whenever we're broken and we're looking at pieces. And here's the beautiful thing about the Christian faith. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. And maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you're still unsure about faith. Maybe church is still a little bit weird for you, but you keep coming back. We're really glad that you're here. Can I just tell you, the beauty of the Christian faith is this reality right here. Jesus came to eliminate hopelessness. He came to eliminate hopelessness for you and for me. He did not come to make life easy. He did not come to make life exactly the way that we would have wanted it to go. He came to do something bigger. He came to do something better. He came to eliminate hopelessness. And the flip side of this equation is that he came to give you hope beyond you. Hope that is bigger than you. Hope that is beyond anything you might ever face. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples in John chapter 16, which we're going to look at that in just a second. And in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is having some time with his 12 disciples. And it's just before he is about to, to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And his disciples, they still can't kind of piece it all together. They still can't kind of figure out exactly what's going on. But Jesus is telling them, he's preparing them. Hey, listen, pretty soon it's going to be time for me to go. Pretty soon, I'm gonna leave, and they're like, where are you going? Can we come? Like, we'll move cities. It's no big deal, you know what I'm saying? I can work anywhere. It's fine. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I've gotta go. Well, why do you need to go? They don't want Jesus to go. They've given up their life to follow Jesus. And, 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 and there are a lot of people that don't like Jesus and there's a lot of tension, but man, Jesus is always there to break the tension. He's always there to give the wisdom. He's teaching them things. And then Jesus is like, but it's, it's time for me to go. And it's actually good for me to go because when I leave, when I leave, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit. When I leave, my Holy Spirit is then going to come after me to live inside of each of you. And that Holy Spirit is gonna be your advocate. 
That Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you to comfort you in a way that surpasses understanding. That Holy Spirit is going to remind you of the things that I taught you. It's going to remind you of the things that are true. And so it's within that context that Jesus says these words to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. I know that I know this is scary. I know you don't want me to leave. I know you don't want to imagine life without me. I know it's probably going to, but I've told you all these things. I'm preparing your hearts because I want you to have peace. And no matter what you face, you can have a deep-seated trust that I'm with you. That when everything else is falling apart, even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your grief, even in the midst of you wishing it were different, you can still have peace. And then Jesus says this to his disciples and he says this to me and you. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. In this world, you will have trouble. He's looking at his disciples. In this world, you're gonna run into things. In this world, there will be difficulty. In this world, you'll experience tragedy. And he was looking at a group of disciples that all of them were gonna lose their life for their faith, except one. He was gonna be exiled for the rest of his life. That you're gonna bump into some persecution. It will not be easy. In this world, you will have trouble. To you and to me, on this side of heaven, life is never going to be perfect. Life is never going to be all that it was supposed to be before sin derailed everything. That we're going to walk through some difficulty and there's going to be some pain and there's going to be some things that cause us to grieve. Our human mortality in and of itself, in this world, you will have trouble. And here's what I love about Jesus in this moment. You ready? Watch this. Jesus is preparing our hearts for what's true. If you've prescribed to a version of faith or been taught a version of faith that said Jesus is just gonna make your life perfect and fix all your problems, even Jesus would not agree with that version of faith. In fact, if you walked away from faith because that was the faith that you held on to and then everything fell apart and you just started to think that maybe God didn't love you, can I just tell you that was the wrong faith because Jesus himself would have never taught that. Jesus himself told us, no, it's actually quite the opposite. You will have trouble. In his kindness, Jesus was being honest. In his kindness, he was preparing our hearts for what's true. And isn't this so true? There is a comfort in preparation even when you're preparing for the worst. I don't want to, I don't want to catch you off guard. You're going to have trouble. I don't want this to, to be a surprise. It's not going to be easy. Following Jesus will not eliminate the difficulty in your life. And he never promised that it would. He says, in this world, you have trouble. But then he looks at him and he says, but take heart. And they're probably like, why? Take heart. Keep going. Keep believing. Keep bending. Even when you break, you can pick up the pieces. Don't stop. Quite literally, be of great courage. Why? What reason, Jesus, and maybe you've asked the question, what reason should I keep going? What reason should I keep believing? Reason and faith are not opposed to each other because what Jesus is about to do for you and for me is give us the reason for it at all. He looks at his disciples, he says, but take heart. 
no matter what you face. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world in this moment. And I don't think the disciples fully understood where it was going just yet. But we living on the side of history that we live on. In this moment, Jesus eliminated hopelessness for you and for me. This word overcome, such a rich word. It means to win in the face of obstacles. It means to be a victor. It means to conquer, to prevail. And what Jesus was referring to, and they didn't get this yet, what he was referring to was, hey, I'm about to go to the cross and they're gonna put me in a tomb, but I'm not gonna stay dead. This word overcome, this Greek word, nenikeka, and it comes actually, this is where we get the word Nike from, by the way, victory. Yeah, this is why I like Nike so much. This is why Jesus would have wore Nike had they had it back then. <laughs> Nike, it's biblical. Kidding, there's a lot of holes in that statement. Um, but <laughs> we're moving on, people. But this really is where Nike comes from. It's a Greek word, and it means victory. But this particular construction of the word, it doesn't mean a victory. It doesn't mean a victory in a moment of time. The way that the word of constructed is constructed, it means continuous victory. It means always victorious. It means complete victory, forever victorious, always winning. And what Jesus was saying to his disciples in this moment is, hey, the reason why you can take heart in the midst of trouble that is going to come your way because this world isn't as it's supposed to be is because I have overcome the world. That any tragedy you might experience, as heavy as it is, because of what I'm about to do is temporary. That no matter what hardship you face, because of what I'm about to do, you can look at it in the perspective of eternity. That death itself, Jesus would say, doesn't have the final word because of what I'm about to do. I have overcome the world. And you know the unbelievable thing about this statement? He said it and he claimed it before he did it. He was speaking as if it was already done. He rendered his work already complete. Why? Because when you are perfectly faithful, when you say it, it's already done. And what Jesus would do just a little while later. The reason why he could make such a massive claim is because he would go to the cross for the sins of the world. He would go to the cross for people that did not deserve it. He would go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, for my sins, and for yours. And then he would go to the grave. And then on the third day, he would do something that no human has ever done or will do again. He stared death in the face and he said, I always win. And he rose from the grave. He resurrected from the dead. That quite literally, and I mean literally, not like all the young kids say it figuratively. I literally mean literally. Breath stopped going in his lungs. Started, stopped struggling. And he literally died. And then he came back to 
life. He conquered death and he conquered the effects of sin, which is death. He conquered the thing that broke our world. And what he promised us in that victory is that I always am victorious. And what he claimed for you and for me is that we share in that victory. That anything that happens to us on this side of heaven doesn't get the final say. The hope of the resurrection isn't that this life will be perfect. It's that one day, ultimately, all things will be redeemed. The hope of the resurrection is no matter what happens to us in this life, it is not the end. It does not define us. It will be painful. It's not going to be easy. We will grieve. We will be afraid. There'll be moments when we're worried. But Jesus is saying, I've given you a hope to hold on to bigger and stronger than all of that. Because the worst thing that could happen to anybody on this side of heaven, death, I defeated for you. I did something for you beyond yourself. I did something for you you could never do for yourself. And because of it, there's hope. That's why the writer of Hebrews, he writes this, he says, we have this hope, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of Jesus Coming back to life as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That this hope is big enough. This hope is strong enough to be an anchor for our soul. And this anchor, firm and secure, this foundation, not easily shaken, this anchor Not one that puts us in a vulnerable state or an insecure state or just easily thrown on a, this anchor is strong enough and big enough. Now, I'm I'm not a boatsman. I don't even really like the outdoors, okay? Like, unless it's like pretty for a minute. You know what I mean? I don't camp, go to the Grand Canyon, cool. Hike back to the hotel, okay? In fact, the only time I've ever been to the Grand Canyon, flew in on a helicopter. Uh, But... It was really pretty for an hour. But here's my point. I don't, I don't fish. I don't do all that. But here's what I do know about anchors. Is when, you, when you drop one, before the boat moves and there's slack in the chain of the rope, like before the boat moves from where the anchor is, the, the anchor isn't being used in that current moment. But when the boat starts to move and, and sway from the current and from the waves, the anchor begins to take hold. And for you and for me, when life is up and to the right, when everything is going the way that we want it to go, it's easy to not think about, okay, what is my life actually anchored to? But then when life breaks, but then when it happens, but then when you get hit with something you never expected to get hit with, when the boat starts to move, when the waves start crashing in, when, when, when we start to get thrown from one side or the other, suddenly it begins to matter what you are anchored to. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, there is a hope that is strong enough and big enough to anchor you so that even in the midst of your pain, you're not thrown. Even in the midst of your grief, Even in the midst of the difficulty, there is something holding your soul firm and secure. That even in the midst of difficulty, did you know this? You can experience peace because peace is not an emotion. 
peace is a state of being. So we can feel whatever we need to feel. Anger, frustration, we're sad, we don't know where to go, but we can also experience peace because there is an anchor, firm and secure. And what this anchor allows us to do, and this is so important, if you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. What this anchor allows us to do, you ready? It allows us to reframe what we can't control. The hope of Jesus is the only thing, and I mean it, it's the only thing that enables us to reframe what we can't control because that's what life is full of a lot of, things we can't control. We're not promised a lot. But because of the hope of Jesus, we can reframe anything that happens to us with the perspective of eternity with the perspective that this is not the end, with the perspective that Jesus rose from the grave. We can reframe anything that's happening in life with the perspective that it doesn't end with a period because Jesus didn't stay dead. And I don't mean to make, with what I'm about to say, something so emotional just seems so logical, but, but you're going to go through life whether you're anchored to the hope of Jesus or not. You're going to walk through difficulty whether you are anchored to the hope of Jesus or not. And I don't know about you. I need something to anchor my heart to because if this is all it, some 80 years and just, man, hoping tomorrow is as good as you want it to be, it's a tough way to live. But Jesus came so we could have an anchor for our soul. Walk in joy, walk in peace. No matter how much bending, no matter when the breaking comes, we've got a picture to be able to put the pieces back together. And if there's anybody that understood this, that followed Jesus, it was Peter. Read about Peter in the New Testament, kind of a loud mouth, got it wrong a lot of the time. But he was a leader And Jesus said, hey, Peter, I'm going to do something really special through you. You're going to help me build this church. And he was bold. But then when Jesus was arrested, and then when Jesus was crucified, in that moment, Peter had lost all hope. And Peter had given up his life to follow this guy. And Peter had went all in. And then when he got arrested and when Jesus died, Peter wasn't standing at the grave just counting to three. He thought it was over. He thought it was done. He thought he bet on the wrong guy. He was in despair. He was hopeless. He's got the pieces and he's unsure which ones to pick up and how to put them back together. We're not talking about bending. It was broken. You remember the story? He denied Jesus three times during the trial and during the crucifixion. One of them was to a little girl full of so much fear. No idea where to go. I'm bending and then he broke. It was done. out fishing and he looks at the shore and he sees he sees this guy looks like campy it's Jesus and they can't row the boat fast enough Jesus Peter just jumps out of the water and into the water out of the boat and just starts swimming to the shore because he cannot believe it's Jesus because he died But in that moment, Peter was able 
to learn about a new hope because he learned that Jesus didn't stay dead. He talked with him. He had breakfast with him. And he had a brand new way to reframe the rest of his life. And it was that Peter that later on, after persecution, after difficulty, and before he died for his faith, it dictated in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, therefore, with minds that are fully, that are alert and fully sober. In other words, with minds that are aware of the hope that Jesus offers. Isn't it so true? And this is certainly true for me. In pain, in anger, in frustration, it's difficult to see things clearly. But when we have an awareness of who Jesus is, even before we get to those moments, we're able to be more alert and fully sober to the reality of who Jesus is and what he did. And so he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, watch this, set your hope. The one that saw Jesus die, the one that lost it all, the one that had it set in what he wanted Jesus to do. The one whose plans were too small, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That one day, Jesus promises to return. He promises to redeem all that is broken. And so Peter says, so what is there left for us to do? Set our hope. Set the inner attention and direction of our soul on the hope that Jesus alone offers the hope of the resurrection and allow that filter to be the thing that reframes that which we walk through. So in the midst of the bending, in the midst of the breaking point, even in the midst of the breaking, we have a hope that is firm and secure. So, Here's a question. I can't imagine ending this series and these conversations with a better one. And it's simply this. What is your hope set on? Like really? What is your hope set on? Is it bigger than you or is it all wrapped up in you? I know for me in my weakest moments, my hope is set on my plans and what I want because I know what I need. I know what I want. Is our hope set on perfect? Is our hope set on according to plan? Life's not gonna let that happen. But there is a God who has promised not to fix it all on this side of heaven, but to see us through until he does. So what is your hope set on? Is it big enough strong enough in the bending, clear enough in the breaking. Because the hope of Jesus resurrected is the only thing. It's the only thing big enough for it to be set on. That one day he'll redeem all things. That his love is always present with you and for you. That he has promised to be with us. And because of that, our future, watch this, and the future of those that you love, as much as it hurts, is secure. Difficulty coming either way. But in the midst of it, Jesus offers us hope. And that word hope, typically in the English language, the way we use it, it's wishful thinking. I hope this happens. I hope they win. 
I hope she says yes. But when we bring it in the context of the hope of Jesus, the Christian hope is different. It's not wishful thinking. The Christian hope is confident expectation in the promises of God. So we can have hope, not hoping in the wishful thinking sense that Jesus comes through, but confident expectation that he already did. He's already won. He already overcame. So what I want to leave you with, three simple statements that I think are worth writing down, powerful to sum up our time together this morning, and it's this. You need to know that you are never alone. You are deeply loved. Here's the kicker. Jesus always wins. And following Jesus is not going to make it easier. It doesn't make life easier. But I believe it makes it better. Not because our circumstances are promised to be fixed. I believe that Believe that sometimes it can. But following Jesus is better because in the midst of whatever I'm going to walk through, I've got a Savior that told me it was going to be troublesome. I've got a Savior that called it. I've got a Savior that walked through difficulty himself when he was crucified on the cross to save me. And I've got a Savior that prepared me for it and a Savior that wants to see me through it. You are never alone. You are deeply loved. And the reason there can be bending before there is breaking and the reason we can pick things up even after they break is because Jesus always wins. And there might be some of you in the room this morning, you've never examined what your hope is set on that you've just kind of been doing it on your own strength and you've quickly realized it isn't enough and you can't and you don't know where to go and you've never considered that maybe there is a hope beyond you and maybe for the first time this morning it's clicking that that hope beyond you is Jesus who died and rose again for you. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning, right where you are, to put your faith and to set your hope on the only one big enough to carry it. I want to give you an opportunity right where you are to surrender your life and to place your faith in Jesus who died for your sins and rose again so that you could have a hope beyond this life, beyond anything that we might face. So we're just going to bow our heads and we're going to close our eyes. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus before, if you've never set your hope on Jesus, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. It's not magic. It just helps verbalize what God might already be doing in your heart. Just repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus' work on the cross was enough to cover my sin. And free me from death. I put my trust in you. And I want to follow you as best as I can. 
Heavenly Father, would you help us examine our hearts? Would you help us ask the difficult questions? Would you help reveal to us what is our hope actually set on? Would you give us the courage to take heart? Not in our own strength, but in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of bending, in the midst of breaking. Would you set before us the hope in Jesus that is firm and secure? Would you meet us at our point of pain? Would you meet us at the point of difficulty? In the midst of all that we might rightfully feel, would you allow us to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding because of Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.